0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Method Ministries, and today I'm with my friend Brandon, and we're here to discuss uh, why we are not Calvinists. So I'll let Brandon go ahead and introduce himself, and then we'll get into the discussion. So thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah,
1: uh, well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, yep. Yeah, again, my name is Brandon Holland. Um, yeah, and I just kind of connected with Lucas over just some similar interests, and uh, this seemed like a pretty cool, fun conversation to have. Um, so, I do a little bit of online ministry, uh, just kind of started last year um, through Substack. Uh, I do a, a blog and podcast called Rooted Reason. Um, and on there, I cover it's more geared towards like worldview apologetics type stuff, but I have covered a little bit of Arminianism just as those things have come up. So,
0: yeah. Awesome. Would you, uh, would you classify yourself as a classical Arminian or would you go towards, you know, I know some people. Uh, nobody really uses it anymore it seems but like you know you know reformed armenian because because mm-hmm. like i'm a wesleyan as you know yeah so i i don't know you know like what's your label that you give to yourself to tell people hey this is what i believe theologically or or soteriologically perhaps yeah
1: yeah um yeah i fit in that probably classical uh, Arminian camp i generally um I, I have used the term reformed Arminian, uh most often just because um i, I think there's a a kind of a false correlation between reformed theology and calvinism that they're that they're one and the same. Mm. I think reformed theology is is larger than calvinism. And so generally uh when I use reformed arminian it's just um to maybe kind of start the conversation or just have somebody stop and go wait, wait what does that mean um because they're not they're not used to it. Most people that I've said that to are like well that's not a thing you can't be reformed and arminian. And so I, I think I use the term probably just as kind of a a way to kind of push back a little bit on that. But classical Arminian is the more common, um, you know, term. But even within that, um, as I've learned more and more about Wesley, uh, yeah, I'm not like not a Wesleyan Arminian, I guess, if that makes sense. Like, I think there's a lot of overlap and a lot of similarities. So uh, generally Arminian is kind of where I classify myself um, leaning more towards the classical reform side.
0: Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, yeah, cuz Wesley uh, you know, he had a magazine called the Armenian, what was it called? The Armenian uh, I don't know, Daily or something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah I think so. You know, names escaping me, but but you know, he did use that term himself, you know, to describe his, you know, soteriology and he mm-hmm. read Jacob Jacob Arminius as well. And just um, you know, I'm sure you know this too, but like James Arminius, he he actually came from the reformed tradition or was right. in it and he never professed to leave it and and he was always trying to argue hey guys i'm in line with these confessions what, uh, what was it the heidelberg uh confession i guess you know that was like like the standard mm-hmm. in his day or the big one and you know he made it a point to say hey guys you know i'm i'm affirming i'm i'm uh you know within this this body of tradition as well so that's why some people have been over the, you know the past 10 years it seems like have been using that term reformed arminian because you know yeah. they want to tell you know, you know let people know kind of like you said I, you know, reform historically, it, it it does mean more than just you know Calvinist because usually you know when we talk about Calvinists, I think this is very important, and I learned this more too, and I'll see if you agree. But like people who think they're reformed, they're not reformed; they're just Calvinistic. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will 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 use that term when <coughs> you know it doesn't. It's it's improper term. Like you know, reformed theology isn't just okay. Do you affirm you know you know tulip you know tulip? Well, it's like hold on. <laughs> like traditionally, that's not true because you know historically, you know it's it's a whole lot more than that. And mm-hmm. you know, when you even get to like like the Baptist side, you can automatically see that difference between who you know what you know what we mean by Calvinist and and you know uh, you know Reformed theology.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a um, I think that's a good point, and I think that's part of the reason too that I've kind of used that Reformed Arminian perspective because, as far as I understand it, you know, Ar- Arminius. Uh, when he died, he was still part of the Dutch Reformed Church. Um, he hasn't been he hadn't been excommunicated or kicked out or anything. He held to the the Heidelberg uh, Confession. He held to the I think the other one's the Belgic or Belt something. Yes, along that was it. A- yeah, it's sort of something to there. Um, so yeah, he he when he passed away, he was fully in line um, within the Reformed tradition at, at that point. So.
0: Awesome. So, uh, you know, let's talk about what, you know, why we're not Calvinist. So, you mm-hmm. know, first of all, you know, I want to say, do you, uh, you remember, uh, you're a little, you know, a bit older than me. Seems like, uh, I'm, I'm 32. I think you're I'm 35. 35? Yeah, 35. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. A, yeah. Right on point. So, so you remember just like me, the young restless and reform movement, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. I remember
1: like Driscoll and some of those guys. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so that was when like Calvinism, right. You know, mm-hmm. was, was really the, the, it, you know, or or a part of the like, I guess like the popular crowd, right? Like, if you wanted to be cool, you were getting on this Calvinist bandwagon. You were listening to John Piper, Matt Chandler, David Platt, Tim Keller, uh, and Mark Driscoll, and they were teaching. You know, you know, um, as I say, so called the doctrines of of grace. So you know, mm-hmm. you know, you and I were both in that. Uh, you know, the churches where that that was popular. The books, the podcasts were going around, and it really just was a cool factor. But why why did you? Um, not get on that or or were you ever like okay i i am a calvinist or you know like what was your you know uh you know experience like going through that and living through that young restless and, and reform period
1: yeah so that um most of that took place when i remember kind of in the mid to late 2000s um at least when i was the most familiar with it and i was actually in college uh at the time what was going on um I was a fairly new believer, but I ended up at a Christian university that was in the Wesleyan Armenian uh, tradition. And so it was, um, yeah, while there was definitely a lot of that, uh, you know, in- influence or like those were the popular guys to listen to. Um, you know, the college I went to was not, uh, didn't lean that way. And so I kind of, I kind of cut my teeth, I think, as a, as a fairly new Christian. i only been a Christian about a year when I went into college um, and kind of the academic uh, realm is where I got a lot of that, and so mm. um, yeah, I think you know when I graduated, yeah, uh, you know, I was still pretty young. I didn't have. Um, I actually look back on college and think, man, I missed a lot of opportunities to like really dig in and ask these professors that had been doing ministry and teaching for years uh, a lot of good questions. When I got out, um, I didn't really know which side I kind of agreed with, and actually, kind of in the middle there. I don't know if you remember the emergent church movement at all like, guys uh, like uh, not, Brian McLaren not, and
0: yeah, not to the best of my knowledge. Like mm-hmm. I heard of it and to me it was, you know, it was always just those like heretical guys.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. So sadly, like- sadly to say they were, uh, uh, it was very appealing. I think as a young Christian, um, the academic side never, I guess took hold of me. And so to have these guys, uh, kind of in that aspect where they're much more, uh, just emotion based and, Things like like Rob Bell. I think was kind of adjacent to the emergent movement, and he's yeah. a he's a great speaker, and so he's very convincing as far as like articulate and things like that. And so they had a, an influence on me. So when I graduated from college, um, I wasn't really firmly in any camp necessarily. Uh, it was all still fairly new to me. Um, yeah, and I just had a lot of voices that I was listening to, and so most of my interest in theology and study of that nature didn't come till to you know a few years later after being married and having a family and realizing like, Oh, I need to buckle down and figure out what I believe so that I can pass that on to, you know, my family and lead them. Well, so.
0: Where, uh, where did you fall in line with like, you know, again, like in you know, the Mark Driscoll's that, you know, the John Piper's when they were like really popular, everybody was just listening to them. Mm-hmm. You know, if we went to like, like I went to an Acts 29 church um, or, you know, two of them again, like those, you know, these are the popular guys and they were, they were, you know, supposedly pushing reform theology, mm-hmm. you know, like, did you ever like those guys or like, or do you still do, or where do you stand on that? Yeah. I
1: think um, at the time, I think the, the biggest one I remember was Mark Driscoll. And uh, I had a couple of friends in college that listened to his sermons, and things like that. And there's parts of it that were, you know, were appealing. I'm like, Oh yeah, I, I kind of like that. But then he yeah. would really, at least a few things I remember, he'd really hammer on Arminianism. And uh, even then I'm like, ah, that's not, I don't think that's really what Arminism is knowing the professors that I was going to, you know, being taught under, I was like, that's, that's not what those guys believe. Um, and so yeah, Driscoll never really caught my attention. He seemed too, too brash and too forward. I think, especially for me at the yeah. time, um, which is, I think again, why some of the more like Rob Bell types more caught my attention. Cause they just had a more, um, maybe whimsical way around, about them. And then now 15 years, well, 12 years later, uh, uh, I'm definitely not on their side, on the Rob Bell side of any of it. Um, still not a Calvinist, but uh, I, I see the importance <laughs> and the, the need for good, solid doctrine and, and biblical teaching.
0: Yeah, because I think with me, um, I didn't, I didn't care, and I still don't care, you know, about being cool. Because I think, and, you know, again, like, you know, the reason why it seems like Calvinism was really popping up was because mm-hmm. there, it, it, it was really like the cool. Thing, you know, to do. And it seems like, you know, these are the guys, you know, as I say, like, you know, with, with tattoos, with beards, you know, they drink beer. They're all in their plaid shirts. They got these cool conferences going on. They got these church plans. They got their big celebrities, or you know, the podcast, the books and everything. So it, it really was like there's this appeal. And I think a lot of people don't realize the implications behind a theology or, or or what they offer you if you mm-hmm. join in on this click. Like you get this validation, you get this, you know, camaraderie with it. You get this pat on the back. like Hey, like you're one of us and, and they market it pretty well. You know, they call it like doctrines of oh, yeah. grace yeah. as if, you know, they're the only ones that believe in God's grace, mm-hmm. which is ironic yeah. because, you know, as we'll, you know, we'll talk about our <laughs> believes beliefs heavily, on on grace, and mm-hmm. you know that's that's the key to understanding Arminianism. You know, uh, as we call it, provenient grace mm-hmm. and everything. But if 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 you didn't care you care about that cool factor, and you're kind of like sticking with the scriptures, which for me, you know, I was always trying to say or, or base it. Okay, you know, what does the Bible say? And I was always just d- just uh, judging it because you know even for me too. Like looking back, like I had I had like opportunities or. It kind of like, I guess, like social reasons to be a Calvinist. Like, you know, I was going to a church where, again, it, it was a cool thing to do. Um, I even, you know, uh, was raised in a true reformed church. And, you know, by true Reformed, I mean, like, not just Calvinists, but, like, you know, they baptized babies. Like, they were the real deal. Yeah. But, you know, even though back then, you know, um, I didn't really get into that or, or know about it. But just coming from the background, going to an Acts 29 church where it was a cool thing to do. Um, you know, I never got on that bandwagon because to me it was always like a, a conviction that the scriptures just aren't aren't teaching this. You know, the scriptures are just saying saying otherwise. Not not that they're heretics. You know, because you know, like I'm sure you agree. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. you, know you, yeah. you know, we don't think that if you're you're a Christian, you're Calvinist. Like, oh, you're a heretic. And actually, I I can't stand when 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 Christians on the flip side, they're very anti-Calvinist to the point where it's like, you know, they're a cult. The, you know they're heretics mm-hmm. they're changing the gospel you know we're not going down that route at all no. i have friends who are no. calvinists many godly men are calvinists you know it, mm-hmm. you know in the past too as well like george Whitfield. so you know we're not you know uh, going down that path but for me it was always just a conviction because i'm not a calvinist because of the you know the, you know the scriptures you know uh, maybe you know we can talk about that right now yeah. so you know what would you what would you say like is, is the primary reason why biblically speaking Like you're not a Calvinist.
1: Yeah. um, So to answer that with uh, just, I guess some more background. Um, So the majority of, well, so probably about 2016 ish, uh, just to kind of fast forward some from college. I graduated in 2010. So uh, about six years later, I was, I kind of got into apologetics, things of that nature. Um, Listen, like William and Craig, Robbie Zacharias, those guys. Um, I don't remember exactly how I came across uh, James White and the dividing line. Um, (laughs) it might've been a debate through YouTube or something like that, but I, uh, actually I I really got into his podcast, but I loved listening to it. I I mean, I still listen to it pretty regularly, not every episode anymore, but, uh, I still listen to it at least once a week, probably. Um, and, and so that was kind of my, I guess, introduction, uh, to more of like the heart, like hard nose, like Calvinism. Was through like apologetics and interest in that, and then you know finding these guys that kind of like you talked about. Even you know early on in the mid to late two thousands, like they were the ones that are putting out the podcasts. They're the ones that write the books, blogs, you know things of that nature. And I think that's changed some, but I, I still think it's probably more heavily you know Calvinistic in the media realm uh, even today. Not yeah. as much as it was then, but um, yeah, they they put out a lot of content and a lot of. Uh, you know what? Well done, content really. So it's easy to listen to. Um, yeah. So that was kind of, I think, my introduction into it. And that's probably for two or three years. You know, I kind of wrestled with this idea of, okay, well, I, you know, I want to be, I want to be biblical, right? I want all of my um, doctrines to to be based off scripture. I don't want to believe something just because of you know maybe a tradition I had or something something I thought. Um, and so you know, I I was absorbing a lot of Calvinistic. Uh, media just because they were the ones that had most of the the podcasts and things about nature at least that i was aware of um so you know even reading stuff from like you know john piper would do like the he'd answer questions and it just was easy to find a lot of their content um Mm -hmm. and so through that i I would hear criticisms of arminianism and uh since i wasn't really like deeply in one camp or the other uh some of those you know uh kind of meant more to me i guess or, or like more persuasive um, but there was always a couple things to answer your question there was always uh just a couple pieces of Calvinism that i just couldn 't quite uh couldn 't quite be convinced of or couldn 't quite swallow with mm. the way that they did things and that um part of that was the like extent of the atonement um it, it, at any time I listened to like uh anything on limited atonement or particular redemption whichever term uh you know you want to use um it just was never never convinced me that 's what scripture was teaching. Uh, you know, fit well within the system uh, of tulip. Like, I could see why logically that had to be the next step. If if those are your steps, um, but it just that was one thing. I you know, certain verses, uh, like in Timothy or Second Peter, just you know, I'd I'd read those and then I would hear or listen to the lecture, or listen to the podcast. I'm like, I just don't see how you're connecting that bridge. And I think the other other part of that too was um the like the Hebrew uh, warning passages. Like I've listened yeah. to a lot of stuff on how it, those are, not they weren't actually Christians or they weren't, you know, full flesh Christians, whatever that, and it's just, I've never been able to make that connection in my head. Is like, okay, that seems like a good understanding of those scriptures. So probably th- those two things are the thing that always kept me from every yeah. kind of putting my name on, on that camp. There's a lot of stuff that they emphasize that I, I think was really good. Um, yeah, like you said, I, I don't think Calvinists are heretics at all. i I think they're brothers um, in the Lord. I think they got yeah. a lot of great content. They have a lot of stuff they emphasize that is super important about sovereignty and things of that nature that um, I think have been left behind. Uh, I just don't, just not convinced by a handful of the the points that they hold.
0: Yeah, like I will give my hats off to them. They 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 do a great job at marketing or evangelizing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, getting podcasts, books out there, and you know, wish and want more people in the Wesley Arminian, And I'm using that as, as, as like a broad term, you know, yeah. term like, like those in the Wesley Arminian, to, you know, start, you know, getting out there, you know, doing podcasts, Instagram, Facebook pages, blogs, you know, write books. And I do see that coming on. Like I think Calvinism is, 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 is dying down and a lot more people are, not, are becoming not Calvinist. Now it doesn't mean they're going to the Arminian camp. You know, they're either coming just supervisionists or, some seem to be converting to Greek Greek Orthodoxy, like that's another conversation from the time, oh, yeah. or like even you know, Catholic and whatnot. But Calvinism is is dying down, and I did think there was an exposure where it's like a lot of that a lot of that talk they give you, like it, it's it's rhetoric. And when you look at not just only the scriptures, but even like what um, people you know like who are true classical Arminians or Reformed Arminians, you know, like whatever term they they actually don't use those arguments and they and they actually don't believe what the people like James White say you believe and i think that 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 mm-hmm. causes you to lose your credibility Where it's like you're if you're just telling somebody this is what they believe and like put you know in terms of uh limited atonement or or you know particular atonement and then give these arguments and set up the the straw man they're vet, you know uh uh you know uh, like what is it their their validity couldn't say that word (laughs) their validity goes down it's like i don't i don't really trust them And it's like okay well now i see this is they're not saying this the scriptures aren't saying this, and you're saying this so it's like what's you know what's going on here and um i do agree with you you know with the warning passages because for me one of the things where i like i hold two conditional security uh you know do you hold that same doctrine um
1: i think that out of those Probably kind of if we're going to do the five kind of you know steps or whatever, um, that's probably the one that I'm the least uh, hard nosed about. Um, I I lean towards the conditional uh, side of it. I I listened to you and um, is it Dan uh, Chapa or Chapa Chapa? I think. Oh yeah, talk about that in your last in one of your last episodes, and uh, I mean I I can kind of see where he's coming from, uh, but I I, I do lean on agreeing with your side of it. It's not something I would probably argue. um, Yeah super strictly because it's, you know, it's, yeah. But yeah, I, I definitely move towards the conditional side.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Um, so I do like, you know, remember going through that time too. Um, I was still in Arminian, but, I, you know, I was going through those passages and trying to struggle with, well, you know, what is it teaching? Like, can I believe or fall away from the faith or not? And I remember, you know, reading, you know, the arguments put out there for those who who were arguing against it. And I, you know, I got to a point where I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to believe this because I couldn't really reconcile it and, and see it. And you know, they didn't seem to be teaching that, but it got to a point where it's like the warning passages were just always there in the back of my mind. And the answers that they were giving to, to, to wash it away and counter it, it just wasn't satisfying. And I I got to a point where I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go with the scriptures. I'm just going to accept the scriptures. This is what they say. And that's what it is. And and I'm just going to believe it. And that's you know that's one of the things why I'm still to this day not a Calvinist because I'm, I'm I'm trying to just go to the scriptures and you know that relates to the biggest part where why I'm not a Calvinist is because I see in the Bible a clear consistent pattern Genesis to Revelation that the scriptures are, 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 are teaching that God calls all men to repent and believe mm-hmm. and not only the, does He call that you know He wants them to repent to believe and He made a provision. I'm not a provisionist but god made a provision for all men to be saved and that's through his son jesus christ so anybody can be saved I, you know i believe the scriptures teach that the gospels for all mm. god tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel and so if i affirm that which the bible teaches and even calvinists you know will teach that too you know you know they have their ways to get around that because there's logical implications from that yeah but at the end of the day. This is ultimately why I'm not a Calvinist because the Scriptures are teaching that God sent His Son Jesus. Like and I was reading it in John, Christ, you know, Christ says, um, "I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world." Well, that doesn't work if you're a Calvinist. Yeah, it, 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 you know, that's not a true statement unless we redefine the word "world" to mean elect. But then we get into this where if words no longer have their meaning, then you know, hermeneutics interpretation just goes out the window. Then if we're not going to use a normal means of language. And words like "world" doesn't mean, you know, people not just within the sphere of of one group of people, but you know, people in multiple groups. Then you know, there goes hermeneutics. You know, there goes you know the interpretation of the Bible. So, but again, if we just go back to what the scriptures say and just affirm it and believe it in, in its simplicity, uh, yeah, this is what God says. And if somebody yeah. comes along and contradicts it, I'm just not going to believe it because the standard is is uh, the scriptures. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, I definitely, um, yeah, I agree with what you're saying there. Uh, yeah, it seemed to me like when I would listen to you know certain criticisms against Arminianism, um, it'd be things like you know Arminians deny the sovereignty of God, and it would just catch me like, well, that's that's not true. Like, and you, it's and it's pretty simple to go through and a biblically we see that God is sovereign, but then just you know perusing through Arminian uh, scholars or theologians, it's i don't think i've ever come across one that even claimed the title armenian that would deny the sovereignty of god um i think it's just one of those things that gets that kind of get lumped together with um, you know arm not typical you know anti-calvinism um and then armenian just kind of gets lumped in with that when it, it's it's not the same thing and so just a lot of all those arguments like that like again sovereignty or um well if you believe that god intended for every person to be saved, then God fails at his plan. It's like, well, there's a difference between, you know, he provided provision and there was conditions on the provision and you know, what, what scripture is teaching. And then just creating a logical problem that you think um, that one can't answer. And so just as I kind yeah. of peruse through a, a lot of the typical uh, criticisms or things like that, you just realize that, well, that's not, that's not what I believe. If I believe those things, then I would agree with you. I wouldn't, you know, I, I would have to turn back to the Bible, but, I, I don't deny God's sovereignty. I don't deny um, His ultimate authority or power. Any of those things.
0: Do you uh, do you get people coming up to you and be and be like, you know, well, what about predestination, right? And like, kind of mm-hmm. like throw you staple, you know, staple verses like Ephesians one. Yeah. You know, do you ever get like people coming up to you like that and like you know asking you questions or or bringing these like false false stereotypes to you yeah. and like kind of argue from there? And then um, you know, and if so, <sighs> like, you know, like how do you handle that?
1: Yeah, uh, uh, sometimes, not not super often. I, I do think one thing that has been uh, a detriment to um, Arminian theology is a lot of times the debate is um, formatted around uh, predestination or free will, like it's predestination versus free will, as if uh, both camps don't believe in predestination and free will in some aspect. And so I, I do think that is, I don't really know how that became the kind of the norm is that um, you know, Calvinists have predestination and Arminians believe in free will and they and they don't believe in both. Um, but Wesley um, wrote a lot on predestination. Uh, Arminius talked about predestination like those are biblical terms and categories that God lays out for us in, in Ephesians and other places and in Romans and things like that, that um, they have, to, have to be dealt with and understood from a scriptural standpoint. And so I, I think it's a sad misunderstanding of Arminianism that for some reason we reject predestination or something like that.
0: Yeah. And and I think, you know, that's what gets lost, uh, you know, in in translation where there's this false dichotomy set up where it's like, okay, one side affirms predestination, the other side doesn't. And -hmm. if that's all that you're taught, that's all that you listen to, you're going to think these guys over here, like Lucas and Brandon, we don't affirm that. And so, you know, then they bring Ephesians to you and be like, look, it's here in the Bible. It says chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And we get these straw mans, you know, th- you know, thrown out at us. And I think if people can see, well, yes, you know, we see that, but why aren't we Calvinists though? Because we see what scripture is is teaching about these subjects. You know, I'm not saying that Calvinists are blind because they're not blind, you know, I kind don't of mean yeah. in that sense, but, you know, we, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we both affirm election predestination. So mm-hmm. I was like, well, why aren't you Calvinists then? Well, because we believe in a thing called faith. Salvation is by, by yeah. faith. So... God is electing, God is predestining people conditionally upon faith. And that's when it comes down to it. So it's not like, okay, well, is it, you know, predestination and election in the scriptures? Yes, check. Okay, who believes that and who doesn't? Okay, these guys mm-hmm. don't, these guys do. I'm going with them. Them. It's like, oh, come to find out both sides believe that. So, yeah. so like what, you know, what is, what is the issue then? So how can you guys disagree with them? Well, because we don't assume determinism when we read predestination mm-hmm. or election. We don't assume the Calvinistic version of that. We try yep. to interpret it scripturally and yep. and that's you know what you know one of the big differences because it, it it does come down to you know that that uh that battle was like okay well what do you do about ephesians 1 what do you do about john 6 what do you do about romans 9 understandably so because you know for some reason you know we just love to talk about that as christians and and and, and that's okay like i like to talk about those you know those passages too and everything so uh what is your view on on predestination and election brandon do you hold to a corporate view do you hold to a individual view or both
1: yeah um uh, i i i call to a, a kind of a both a blending of the two um i think that uh you know corporate bodies are made up of individuals it's kind of the simplest way I've, I've heard it stated before um and so i think that uh you know we're corporately elected um, through faith. There's like a good condition on our election, um, you know, in, in Christ and through Christ as Ephesians teaches us. But that I, I do think, and I um, and I can't remember off the top of my head, but Arminius in, in some of his uh, sentiments, he lays out kind of a fourfold doctrine of decrees. And one of those uh, mm. um, doctrines that he knows, that God knows specifically each individual that by faith will um, be in Christ and each individual that will reject that. And they won't be. And so I think that God knows, each individual person that um, is elect in, in that sense, just based on his foreknowledge and who God is. Uh, but it, it is a corporate um, election as well. And so it's not something that I, I think you get into errors. If you um, are probably too hard nosed, like what's well, corporate and corporate only, or it's individual and individual only. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, uh, four lines book, classical Arminianism. Oh, yeah. But he has Love a chapter him. in there on, on Romans nine. Yeah. He has a chapter on Romans nine, and so that's kind of I think where I've landed. Is um, he's pretty convincing and compelling, and that in that chapter on Romans nine is um, it, there is an individual aspect to it.
0: Yeah, uh, for Leroy four Lines and Robert E. Pe- uh, Piccarilli. I I always forget yeah. um, how to say his name, but Robert E. Piccarilli. Yeah, I'm not sure yeah, I, know I know either. Yeah, yeah, but th- those guys are some of the best classical Armenian theologians, and they're and they're very easy to read too. Oh yeah. So if you want to know, you know, what that, um, doctrine is, because, you know, I always like to tell people too, Arminianism is not just non-Calvinism. It's not, it's mm-hmm. a, it's an independent theology. So that means there are affirmations, positive a- affirmations, like every theology has independent of, of these things. So it's not just like, okay, you know, we're Calvinists, you know, what's interesting is that actually Tulip came as a response to Arminianism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's not the other way around really. Tulip was a, a a counter to the five points of Arminianism, mm-hmm. and it's a shame you know that we don't even know that. But Arminianism came first, and it was historically as well the early belief of, of the church. Like if you go back, you know a lot of people you know will dispute that. Well, it it, it really is just a fact of history mm-hmm. that the early church fathers you know they weren't Calvinists, They held to things like foreknowledge, and, and and that's another thing you know that gets me too in in Calvinism, where foreknowledge, and I can't buy it biblically either. Like I think it's just so easy to refute is that foreknowledge is interpreted as another word or a synonym for predestination mm-hmm. where we where we come to scripture passages like Acts, I'm sorry, um, First Peter one, two, where he says, elect according to the foreknowledge, and the Calvinists will say and mock the Arminian, like, Oh, God's looking down the corridors or time and he's trying to find out you know, who believes, oh, this guy does over here, I'm electing him. And that's just such a such a misconception mm-hmm. of one, what the scriptures are, are teaching, and one, even what we believe about that, because one of the passages, too, another one, which I always like to point out, and why, you know, I'm talking about foreknowledge too. Election is based upon foreknowledge. Why? the mm-hmm. scriptures teach that. First Peter one nine. So that alone, right there, will make make me not be a Calvinist because if if the Calvinist says that foreknowledge has nothing to do with it, it's really just a, just an, a, a you know a synonym for predestination or determinism well, you know, we have multiple, pro- multiple problems. First of all, you know, you just redefined a word. You know, you know, it's what you did. You know, just like the word world is now reinterpreted to mean only the elect. You know, you just redefined foreknowledge. And then, then you also told me election isn't based upon foreknowledge. So it's like, if I'm sticking with the scriptures once more, I'm trying to figure out what what is election? What is predestination? Well, I'm going to have to say foreknowledge was included in that, or we were elected according to that. Why? Because first Peter tells me that. So it's like, okay, we got Calvinists over mm-hmm. here telling me this. They're clearly saying, even if they redefine foreknowledge to mean something different, at the end of the day, they're telling me it's not foreknowledge. The scriptures are telling me it is foreknowledge. So it's like, wh- what do I do? Do I go with the scriptures or do I go with the cool crowd, you know, the young wrestlers and reform, you know, the James White, who will say that you're a monergist now and you get to be one of us and get make fun of those, those other people over there. Well, It's like, well, I'm going to choose the scriptures and yeah. I'm going to just disagree with you. And at the end of the day, if you're going to you know call me names, make fun of me, it's like whatever. I I I really don't care. I just really want to affirm what the scriptures are teaching. And mm-hmm. so it's not like we reject predestination. We reject election. No, Amen. We affirm those. I I love to actually talking about those things. I love looking into it and studying it. Yeah. But when we, when what we don't affirm is the Calvinist understanding of that, and that's when we have to realize. And this is even comes down to like presuppositionalism because I know you're a presuppositionalist. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but what, they will. You know, what, I'm not allowed
1: in the camp, though. So, <laughs> as an Armenian, I can't. I'm not allowed in the in the camp, so.
0: But one of the things that presuppositional teaches is that we all have the same facts. It's just the interpretation of the facts that differ. So it's like we all have the Romans nine, right? We all have John six, Ephesians one. You know, the, you know those big passages where, where you know uh, we debate. But what different what, what difference is not that we reject those is that we interpret them differently. And that's what we're trying to argue. So both sides believe in God's sovereignty. You know, like that's a big term that, you know, they like to use, oh, so I believe in the sovereignty of God. Well, amen, so do we, you know, we love the sovereignty of God, right? Like, you know, do you ever get that, you know, um, or come across it? Cause I usually find out when, when I'm, I'm arguing with people about this or when they're trying to have conversations or are trying to argue with me about this. Cause I don't try to argue about this. I try to just talk about this. I usually have to get past and spend time on the false characters, which is like thirty minutes, maybe, or maybe even even the whole conversation of them yeah. throwing the stuff at me, and, and I have to go through. No, I don't believe this. No, I don't believe this. No, I don't believe this. So it's like I, I I don't even get to talk about what I really believe because it's all this, you know, James White false rhetoric, you know, yeah. uh, even you know John Piper, R.C. Sproul, you know, they give you all these false arguments of what we really believe. So it's like I, I I have to get past this huge yard. And nobody really knows, or the Calvinist doesn't even know what I really believe. And we're not even talking about what, you know, what I believe. I don't know if you have that same experience.
1: Yeah. Um, that's uh, so with, with rooted reason and with kind of the the podcast and blog idea, you know, originally it was just going to be more apologetics focused um, worldview type stuff. Um, but then as I got kind of into that world, I realized um uh, no, i I think I knew it anyways, listening to all of those podcasts, but it just became more and more of a question of like okay, but you're an Armenian so you can't you can't use this apologetic or you can't um do this or this doesn't make sense and so it's made me um almost have to backtrack some and um <clears throat> be better prepared to answer some of those questions uh, Cause i don't, i think I went to a little blind not realizing that it was such a uh just such a misconception a, a lot of what is passed off as armenian theology um is something I wouldn't affirm uh, in any way, shape, or form. And so, can you talk about like I read um, R.C. Sproul's "Chosen"? Was it "Chosen by God"? I think it's the name of that book.
0: Yeah, "Chosen by God." Yeah,
1: yeah. And and it was you know probably I don't know eighty percent of it. I was like, yeah, this is this is all good, and I like this. And then he would he would critique Arminism or non-Calvinism. He kind of switched between which term he would use. And I have just a bunch of underlines like, well, yeah, I don't agree with that anyways. like, what? Well, that's not a that critique doesn't apply to me because I don't. You know disagree with god's sovereignty or anything like that or he would ask questions um like well how does an arminian you know i'm trying to think i should have grabbed it before i came up here but uh trying to know what what the question was he asked a specific question about how an arminian deals with uh might have been how somebody how somebody falls away from the faith or something along those lines and just my notes in the book were like well but how would you answer that question like it's not just a question for me it's you have these same questions that you have to answer even from a, a calvinistic you know theology and so I have noticed is that more of the time is spent just kind of going through a basic um, understanding of Armenian theology and uh, yeah and and I found a lot of people are um, surprised but then also open to like, oh okay, so yeah you don't you don't you're you're not a boogeyman in theology really you you do hold to God's sovereignty and predestination and election and those things because um, I think what most people have in mind when they think Arminian um, is, uh, Typical evangelical non-Calvinism, which is kind of very squishy and just kind of, you know, God loves everybody and we're all just going to get along to to get along. And that's kind of the end of it. Um, when really there's a whole tradition, like you said, it's not just non-Calvinism, There's a whole tradition of Arminian theology that is looking to get back to the Bible, get back to the basics um, and have a scriptural understanding of everything that's going on.
0: One of the things that, that I like too is that we don't, Arminianism doesn't really have so much contradiction to deal with like if, like if i became a calvinist the the big pill to swallow is unconditional election and, and what i liked about john wesley too is um he wrote a great book a small book it was pre it's, it's called predestination calmly considered did, uh, did you ever read that i have not read that one uh i yeah i just read it for the first time two two weeks or maybe about two weeks ago or something okay like that but he talks about and 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 he argues strongly for this is that if you if you affirm unconditional election you know the, you know, the people who affirm that they don't want to affirm the opposite which is unconditional reprobation S- some do like John Piper you know affirms both mm. I, um, I believe even James Y R C Sproul but a lot of them want to weasel the way out of that and what John Wesley <laughs> was saying is you can't you, you know you can't you can't avoid that that contradiction that that, that ugly truth of Calvinism, where it's like, if you believe in unconditional election, you you do believe in un- unconditional reprobation, because, you know, you can ask the question, well, is, is somebody in hell right now, and will be for all of eternity suffering, because God didn't uh, uh, elect them, they'll say, yeah, but, you know, they'll try to, you know, throw in the butts, oh, that's a false dichotomy, it's not, it's, it's, it's a truth of Calvinism, it's an objective truth, and whatever they want to throw at that 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 logic, it doesn't diminish the logic that somebody is in hell according to Calvinism. Multiple thousands, billions of people, whatever you know, number you, you know you want to throw at it, they're in hell because God didn't elect them. And if you look at the scriptures, that doesn't match up to it, where God says, "I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked." What well, does God mean that? Is that just a, a charade with God? And and that's another thing too. Like if I accepted Calvinism, I I would have to accept so much charades to the point where it's just like embarrassing. It's like, how many times can God say, repent? I held out my hand to a disobedient people. Um, You know, Jesus says, you, you know, you're not willing to come to me, to me. Like, you know, you go through John where Christ says that um, I'm saying these things so you may be saved. Like, is it, you know, in Calvinism, if I was a Calvinist, I would have to interpret that to mean somewhat of you know of a charade or not even somewhat a a charade you know you know uh, uh, they won't use those terms but it is a it is a charade and it's just ridiculous and i like about arminism is that you don't have to affirm affirm these contradictions like i don't have to you go to sleep on on that pillow where it's like well you know let me just throw mystery at it no it's not mystery it's contradiction you know you know uh, let's call mystery mystery and contradiction contradictions you know, you can't say this and also affirm, you know, you know, these scriptures. So it's like, okay, some, somebody's wrong here. Hmm. And, you know, somebody, somebody's not, not being truthful not being consistent. And if I affirm Calvinism, I would have massive inconsistencies, massive contradictions. If I just affirm the scriptures, I can just forget all that. And like, no, God says the believers who he saves, he calls men to repent. Christ says, you're not willing to come to me. I'm saying these things so you may be saved. And we just affirm that and there's a beauty in the simplicity of just affirming the scriptures. And, you know, that's another reason why I'm not, you know, Calvinist. Would you agree or anything yeah. you want to add to that?
1: Yeah. Um yeah, well so I yeah, I agree uh, wholeheartedly with what you're saying there. You know, uh four lines talks about in his book kind of the influence response model is how he kind of lays it out and that um I think you mentioned earlier like when you're you just read the just read the Bible, read the basic storyline of the bible you know you see god um calling people you see god uh enabling people to come to him and him giving them um opportunities and time and time again you know repeating that he doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked that um you know he he wants them to come to him to be gathered under his under his wing and so uh, you see this kind of influence response model i think throughout the bible where you know we're We're we have personalities like we're human beings. We have we have a will. We have um, thought process. We have all these gifts. I think part of the image of God, you know, laid on us, Uh, and you see God interacting with that. Um, And just uh, every story through the Bible, you see God interacting with people as um, as personalities. I think is how four lines talks about it. This influence response, like He's influencing us uh, to be drawn to Him, to come to Him. So, I so I totally agree with you know, total depravity. You know, I think that I I will do nothing good on my own. Um, every action I take will be sinful. I will not turn to God in any way, shape or form, no matter how hard I try or think I might want to, none of that outside of the grace of God drawing me and enabling me to come to him. Um, and so with the Calvinistic side of it, I think you see, uh, as Four Lines puts it, kind of a cause and effect. Like God's just kind of moving these pieces around the board. Um, and yeah, and I agree. I think that's part of what has kept me um yeah, because I have good friends that are, are Calvinist. Um, uh, I go to a church that's led by Calvinist uh, elders, uh, do ministry yeah. right alongside them, and, and we get along yeah, perfectly fine and can do ministry together. Um, so I had a lot of reason to kind of you know a- enter into that camp also, but there's always just these little things of, uh, well, if it is a cause and effect model that God is just moving these pieces around, how do I understand things like, you know, God doesn't desire the death of the wicked. He desires all men to come to him and be saved. Um, that uh, he gave himself for the world. This, those kind of things that you mentioned, I just could never connect those dots in my head. And so, yeah, it's just been really good to be able to dig into just some good Arminian theology and understand that, like, I don't have to give up sovereignty. I don't have to give up um, any attributes yeah. of God to hold to, uh, like, a freed will, uh, that those things, you know, come together biblically. Um, yeah, so that's, it's, it's been, I just, yeah, I agree with what you're saying and it definitely, you just read through scripture and you can just see time and time again that we're, there seems to be at least just off a of base reading that human beings have a, a responsibility and a call to action. Um, and that we're influenced and we're, we're told to respond to what God is doing in our lives. You know, Jesus came as the light of the world yeah. to give light to men. Like he did. It just doesn't, if you just read the, read the Bible, on just a basic level i i don't think you would just come away with the five points of calvinism i think that's kind of something it has to be yeah, yeah. Uh, attached over the top or maybe lenses to, to view it through now and i will say that you know if you have all five points like i said I, you know i i, I had no problem with total depravity i think it's a, a biblical doctrine we affirm that um, yeah totally affirm total depravity um but from there you know they build off of total depravity Uh, in the wrong way. And if you take those five points, I think they logically fit together well. Um, just as a a piece by piece, uh, matter. And I think that's part of the reason it became so popular was that it's, uh, well, it is difficult, but it's very simple to understand. I think like step one leads to step two leads to step three. Like you have total depravity, then you have assumptions about total depravity that I can't do any good by myself. And you take those assumptions and say, well, that means God must Unconditionally elect you, and if you're unconditionally elect, that means that atonement was only made for those that elect. Like those pieces, kind of trail that way. But then I think when you go back and and look at the scripture that you use to support those things, uh, it's to me it's it's clear that those are not supportive scriptures for those doctrines. There's a false starting point, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they have, you know, uh, they do have, you know, tr- truth to <clears throat> what they say. Like total depravity <laughs> is true. Mm-hmm. Men are dead. And, you know we believe that god um or man apart from god can't do any good can't believe yeah. so you know they'll throw that at, at you well look lucas you know uh, men are dead well a, you know amen But it's called god's grace that's you know mm-hmm. that's how you know we reconcile things and even like you know um i i talked about world like how they like to redefine the word world and say and they can show you passages where world doesn't mean everybody head for head and that is true sometimes but what they don't tell you is that world doesn't only mean the elect. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just ridiculous. Like, you yeah. know, like Luke 2, you know, they'll, uh, you know uh, they'll point to that and say, look, it says all the world was taxed. Well, obviously, that was only the Roman Empire, because, you know, what about China? Was China taxed? See, yeah. limited atonement, Lucas. What's well, like, well, wait a minute. You're telling me every, uh, Caesar only taxed the elect? Like, things mm-hmm. like that just just don't, don't add up. And it really is know contradictory so it's like you can have a truth but if you assume a wrong truth to it and then follow that wrong assumption out to its mm-hmm. logical conclusion you can you know you can be a calvinist but if, if if you examine that presupposition and say wait a minute this is a contradiction then you know we're not going to call it a mystery we're not going to say oh well you know this and that we're you know we're just going to call it what it is a contradiction and we're going to say no the scriptures are teaching otherwise um, have you listened to latent flowers um, lately or like or or you know have you li- or do you listen to them I don't know weekly or whatever or often uh,
1: I There's used to uh, I, I probably like 2018 2019 somewhere in there I listen to them more often um, really. I don't really anymore listen to this uh, latent flowers or uh, was it Soteriology 101 like his podcast I'm, I'm familiar with it um, uh, but yeah I, I don't I, I don't follow him too closely.
0: Gotcha. Well, uh, the reason why I mention it because you know you're a presuppositionalist, and one of the things that uh, Doctor Flowers does really well, and I mean, fantastic job, is that he argues. I don't, I don't even know if he uses this term, but he argues presuppositionally against Calvinism. And presuppositionalism, you know, what it does is, which a lot of these guys, like you know, you know, the Apologia, love to say that they're presuppositionalists, where. Where it's like if you, if you argue presuppositionally against Calvinism, you can show the folly of it quickly. So mm-hmm. presuppositionalism shows that, you know, argues not up here. It wants to look at what is this argument standing upon. So for an argument to be true, you have to examine its presuppositions. And that's where an argument will stand or fall. You know, um, you know, another way to draw this out, out is to say, well, by what standard, right? You know, that's mm-hmm. a classic line. So, by what yeah. standard? So... When you do it with Calvinism and you, and you look at their presuppositions and you you um, draw that out and follow its logical conclusion, you get contradiction. What and what Layton does is, you know, um, he'll, he'll respond to the Calvinists and he'll say, "Well, was I predestined to do this?" And they have to affirm as theological determinists, "Yeah." So if 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 you just stop right there, like you know, somebody like. Um, You know, you know, talking about James White again. If if he gets mad at Layton Flowers for getting mad at Calvinism, and he says you're against God's sovereignty, James White, according to his worldview, is getting mad not at Layton Flowers, but for God ordaining Layton Flowers to get mad at Calvinism. Like, like, doesn't that just sound you know ridiculous? And you just have to think about, wait a minute, what? Hmm. It's like you have to just step back and think about the Calvinist worldview in in practice if if a calvinist gets mad at me for disagreeing with them he's not getting mad at me he's getting mad at god's decree but here's where it gets even crazier and i heard you know flowers draw this out again you know you know this past week is not only is a calvinist getting mad at you for getting mad at, at god god too has ordained that calvinist to get mad at you to get mad at god hmm. like it's just an insane circle of massive contradictions where it's like Nobody is doing anything apart from God. Even me disagreeing and even giving this argument is a predestination or, or a theological you know, determinist, uh, you know, according to Calvinism. So everything just re- re- results yeah. in contradiction and like no, nobody can be a Calvinist and, and live it out. Like I can't, I can't live out the Calvinist faith. Like I mm-hmm. can't get mad at somebody. If I really believe all things are ordained to God's glory, then I should be uh, rejoicing in absolutely everything, including evil. You know, when I read that somebody just got murdered, right? That's God's will. Let's let's praise God, right? Calvinism, the doctrines of grace. Well, no, nobody does that. Why? Because you can't live out Calvinism. You can't, you know, you can be it intellectually, but you can't be in practice. You know, you're an Arminian. You're believing that God is sovereign and in control, but He also has given man. Freedom, and that—that's why we have certain things like disagreements. I'm not, so I'm not, mm-hmm. so not going to rejoice in evil and say, "Oh, God's, God's grace, God's grace." You know, you know, this person was 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 raped. This person was more murdered. No, I'm going to be a, a a Christian who follows the scriptures. You know, not the, again, not the Calvinist arm, but I'm just going to be committed to that yeah. and say, you know, there's a reason why this happens, and I don't have to revert to theological determinism and then not get mad when you object to that and say you're against God's will. What according to my worldview? god ordained you to be against his will and i'm getting mad at you and god has ordained me to get mad at you for being against his worldview like it's just it's just insane it's an insane circle and for calvinists who want to profess that they're presuppositionalists they they should respect this argument we're arguing presuppositionally like there's nothing untrue about what we're saying we're just examining their presupposition which is theological determinism which is folly Mm -hmm. i'll let you respond because yeah uh, a little banter (laughs) no you're good you're good.
1: Yeah. And obviously there's going to be, uh, yeah, that's not a new question. I don't think for, for a Calvinist to hear. Um, and and there's some responses, uh, that I've heard before that, um, I can kind of, I guess, maybe understand where they're coming from, but then at the end of the day, I I think it's still a a valid criticism of, you know, ultimately if you're a, a theological determinist, uh, yeah. What are you getting mad at? Like things are playing out exactly, um, how they had to, how God ordained them to be, uh, and so, yeah, if, if I disagree with you on Calvinism, it's, well, I'm I'm just following, you know, the plan that was, that was pre-written for me. Um, and, and I do think part of that too, you made me think of it, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, God's sovereignty ties into God's sovereignty. Uh, you know, Arminius talked about, I think it was uh, the doctrine of divine concurrence is what he called it. But basically that even inside of, um, you know, the evil acts, like I've been asked before, like, okay, when something evil happens, like a rape or a murder, like, um, was God struggling against it? Could he just not prevent it from happening? Like, what was his role in that? Um, and while I reject the, you know, the hard determinism aspect of it, Arminius brings up this idea of concurrence where, you know, it, it's still within God's sovereignty and power that he had to permit um, that person to do those things. Even to the point of like, he sustained the the murderer. He sustained his life while he was committing those acts. And so it's not that God is, is hands off and that um, it's just something outside of his control and he's just doing his best and uh, people are just killing people. Um, you know, he's still sovereign over that, but in the way that he works in the world and in the influence response model, influence response model, um, you know, people turn against him. They they thwart his will. They um, they spit in his face. They, they sin. And so uh, I, I do think that's one criticism I've gotten is that well, for an Arminian, you just have to believe that evil things happen and God can't do anything about it. And I take a, a, a more, I think, active approach in that, like I said, divine concurrence. And that well, even in those evil acts, God is still sustaining the life of that sinner to do those evil things. Now, it's against his will. It's not what he wants for them. It's not what he desires them to do. But it's not that he is, is helpless and just wishing the world was better. Like God is still sovereign and in control of, of those things. I don't know if that makes sense or if I didn't explain that very no, well. No, yeah, it but. does.
0: Because, you know, uh, they'll respond and say, and, you know, go to, you know, biblical examples where Joseph, right? Like think of Joseph, you meant to for evil, but God meant it for good. And they will say, see, God uses things for his good. Amen. He does, but it's, okay. it's different. It, it's a big and huge difference to say that God ordained them to commit that evil. God will allow people and, and use uh, those situations to glorify himself and for a greater good but it's a whole different ball game when you say God ordained that person to do this. Mm-hmm. And yeah. very few Calvinists will you know will go there because you can keep if if we're going to go there, you keep backtracking, backtracking, backtracking. Like don't even go to Adam and Eve, go to Satan. Because Satan wasn't tempted. You know, uh he chose of his own you know accord to 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 fall or mm-hmm. and, and to try to go against God. Did did God ordain Satan to sin against him? if i'm a calvinist i would have to say yes i you know i i would have to affirm that nobody does though nobody really wants to affirm that like maybe like two out of a thousand guys yeah. or, or calvinists will affirm that well i can't affirm that why not because it's ridiculous and you know God god's not ordaining people to you know to sin against him hmm. we know that and we know that from you know the scriptures and if 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 i'm a calvinist you know i i might as well just Again, just revert back to well, everybody's doing what they're programmed to do. So why am I getting mad at, at at anybody? It's like you know, I can't tell you how many Calvinists you know, I, you know, I see on Twitter, and they're getting mad at the world and the way things are going. Well, it's like, oops, sorry, my mic almost fell. <laughs> but it's like, well, why are you getting mad at the world? Don't you, just, you know, in one tweet, you're, you know, you are saying, you know, God is sovereign, and you mean that deterministic sense. And the next tweet, you are like, look at these liberals over here. But it's like you just told me in this other tweet that this is what mm-hmm. God ordained what what are you getting mad about yeah. and then if i object to you yeah. oh you don't understand calvinism you know uh, that's a good one you don't understand calvinism so the only person who who understands calvinism is calvinist so it's like i can't understand something and and, and reject that you know it, you know uh mm-hmm. you know even that you know that's a whole nother contradiction you know to deal with where it's like if i if i just go with the scriptures i don't have to worry about all this i don't have to deal with these contradictions and and you know you know these circular circular arguments that are just, you know, God predestines everything. Well, Lucas is, is disagreeing with God's predestination, but then you said over here, God predestines everything. So God predestined me to do this. He predestined me to do that. And then, you know, it's just back and forth, back and forth. And it's a vicious, a vicious circle, all circular, yeah. all, all, uh, all reasoning is circular, but it's about the right circle. And that circle over there is, is a contradiction.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I, I think in, you'd kind of mentioned, uh, a little bit earlier, um, to me, like uh, having an Armenian uh, theological perspective, uh, I think gives me um, the freedom to wrestle with Scripture. It gives me the freedom to um, not be a hundred percent sure uh, exactly like uh, on my interpretation of certain things. So, kind of like we talked about, um, like some of the Hebrew warning passages. Like, I, I feel the freedom as from my theological perspective that I can study those more in depth. And if I find that, oh yeah, this is obviously. Um, people that were saved, they're, they're Christians and they're, they're stepping away. They're falling away. They're becoming apostate. Um, that doesn't, that's not going to cause me to have to shift my entire theological perspective. Cause it's, it's just in line with, I have that freedom to just follow the, follow what scripture says. I don't have a pre like a presupposition or preconceived notion that, well, no, the elect can't, can't fall away. So these cannot mean what they seem so clearly to be saying. Now I think you see the same thing with, uh, you know, some of the past we talked about, like that God desires all men to be saved. Well, they have to reinterpret all to mean something different because of a prior theological conviction that says, well, it, it can't mean all. Um, I, I think you see that, like you said, with um, determinism, like, well, evil things, things that are against God's will. You know, as an Arminian, I have the the freedom just to follow the biblical data. Like, OK, so God is sovereign. God is in control. Evil things happen. What does the Bible tell me? Uh, about those things that God, they meant it for evil, but God intended it for good. Okay. So what do I understand from that? What is the Bible teaching me where if I had a, you know, a Calvinistic framework, I would have to interpret those things under a deterministic, you know, uh, framework as I, I think it limits, uh, the available options and it causes these redefinition of things like foreknowledge, like you mentioned, or like, you know, all doesn't mean all, um, in any case, not that I'm saying all is, is all in every case, obviously there's scripture that all doesn't you know. literally mean all, but I have the ability to read the scripture, see what the Bible is telling me. And in context, understand, Oh, all here means uh, the Roman empire are uh, being taxed or, or, whatever it is, or all actually means uh, all of the world, the whole world. And so, yeah, I, I do think it's a limiting um, theological presupposition to come into it with a Calvinistic lens of, well, all it can't mean all. And so I have to understand it in a different way because then, uh, you know, I couldn't hold to limited atonement and, uh, the election, the way I do th- those things. And so I, I just, I, I see a sense of yeah. freedom and that I can just take the Bible for what it says, you know?
0: And and I love being able to to affirm and tell people with confidence that Christ died for them and that they can be saved. Like, mm-hmm. I love that. I, 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 genuinely, I genuinely love that. Like, I, I don't ever have to worry about, oh, is this guy going to ask me this question and I, and I have to tell him the news that Christ might, may not ha- have, have died for them. And um, you know, to tell you a story, so um, I have a family member who who's a a Calvinist, um, a, um, you know, more so of 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 uh, you know, the John MacArthur side, which John MacArthur is a faithful Christian, so I'm not knocking him, but they believe in unconditional yeah, election, including like limited, yeah, yeah, me too, and um, so they believe it in unconditional election and limited atonement, and so they have children, so I was asking them, do you tell your children that Christ may not have died for them? And of course, their you know the response was no. And I was like, well, do you let them believe that Jesus loves them? And of course, you know, they do, but I'm, you know, just thinking about if, if I was a Calvinist and even them, if I was going to be honest with my belief, I would want to tell my kid, Hey, Christ probably, you know, may not have died for you. In fact, you know, there's a, there's a great chance he probably didn't die for you because Mm -hmm. scriptures say say that many are going to go to hell versus those who go to heaven. Um, so, you know, there's a good chance Christ didn't die for you and you're not one of the unconditionally, you know, specially uh, elected. So you're going to let your child believe, you know, that Christ died for them and that they can be saved. And if they repent and believe they're saved. so it's conditional so you're going to let your children, child, assume all of this? It's like at what point, at what stage, does a Calvinist sit down and have the hard conversation with their child and tell them, "Hey, God may not have elected you. He he, uh, he's only done it for the specially elect. And by the way, he didn't die for all. Again, that's only for the specially elect." So you know, like I couldn't imagine because you know I'm a dad, you know, just like you, mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine telling, being a Calvinist and telling and trying to train my daughter up in this. It's like how do you know you have to avoid certain things like i couldn't tell my daughter jesus you know sing the song jesus loves me this i know like you know that you know th- uh, that song's out the window i don't yeah. know that does she know that you know she's five months old how do i know that that god chose to to unconditionally say she's going to heaven when chances are he probably just passed her over which is just another form of reparation and christ probably didn't die for her like there's no way for me to know that, so it's like I, I couldn't even have these conversations with her. So, so am I just gonna, oh, just let her believe that Christ died for her, just you know, just let her mm-hmm. believe that that Jesus loves her and that she can be saved? I'm thankful that I don't have to worry about that and that I can just affirm that the scriptures say that Christ does want her to be saved. He died for her. He loves her, and if, he, if she repents and believes, she is going to heaven. Like, like that's that's off you know like a weight off my shoulder and you know i don't have to worry about any of these contradictions over yeah. here i can just kind just of affirm the scriptures and teach her the scriptures and give her the promises of god that if she repents and believes she's saved because why mm-hmm. grace died for her
1: yeah yeah i think um <clears throat> yeah i think a logical conclusion of calvinism uh is you know unlike was it some in your families are Cousin, or something, I can't remember what you said, but yeah, the person in your family, somebody in my mind.
0: family. I don't want to say, just in case. No, no, listen. you're fine. You're fine. You're fine.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I do think that uh, you know a logical conclusion of, of a Calvinistic uh, theology would say that they're not being 100 percent honest with their kid when they say things like, you know, Christ loves you, Christ died for you. Like th- those things just don't don't happen uh, within a, um, a Calvinistic understanding. And I, I will say, like, uh, I'm very thankful that there are so many, uh, what I would say is inconsistent Calvinists um, that are very Mm -hmm. evangelical, that are very mission-minded, that, um, you know, tell, tell the congregation or or tell groups of people that, you know, Christ died for you. Like, let me tell you more about Jesus. Like I'm I'm very thankful that uh, so many are, are, I think inconsistent with their theological presuppositions to where that they don't have, because you see the, the opposite side of that. When people, I think when, I you know, they call it hyper Calvinist or, or what a yeah, high yeah. Calvinist. Um, but on, honestly, the from what I've read of like hyper Calvinist things, like I honestly think they're being a little more consistent within the framework of their theology. Now I'm glad that most people are not that way. Um, and I think as kind of you're talking about earlier, the difficulty in living with uh, the logical conclusions of your of your theological framework inside of Calvinism. Um, thankfully, most people don't. I, I don't think live. Consistently within that they they see the scriptures they understand the scriptures um, and they know that yeah you might have a be able to write a 60 page paper on why sovereignty and human responsibility fit together in your Calvinistic model um, but when it comes to when your feet hit the road when it's time to live it out you're telling your kid that you know Jesus loves you you know you're, you're doing those things because you just I think you understand innately that that's what, it, what biblically is explained to us and you understand that from
0: God yeah you do and uh you know it's on that point too because uh, there are a lot of great Calvinists out there, and I don't want to be a cage stager because uh you know do you know what cage stager means
1: um at least from like the Calvinistic side from what I just kind of that new yeah. fr- freshly minted Calvinist that just uh, everybody's a heretic, even other calvinists if they <laughs> if they open their arms to Armenians, her they're heretics too it's kind of what I've come to understand of the cage yeah. page, uh
0: correct yeah so just for the audience you know a cage stager is somebody who's so vicious about his theological beliefs where it's like you got to come put him you know get you know get your boy and put him back in the cage because you know he's out there attacking everybody so it's this guy who's uh you know all about his secondary doctrine he makes everything about it he tries to make all christianity about it anybody who, who disagrees with him you know even if he sniffs out just one drop of blood Man, dude, he's throwing you under the bus and he's going a- after you. So, the cage stagers, a lot of them are Calvinists, not all. But I also realized too is they're also anti-Calvinist cage stagers. So it's like it's, you know, like you said, not all Calvinists are 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 like the you know the James White. Thank God they're not. Not not all the Calvinists are like you know you know these people where it's like you know you're you're man centered. You're disagreeing with me. You know you're a heretic. I believe in grace. You believe in works. You know, uh, you're just trying to glorify, you know, man and you're against God's sovereignty. Thank God, you know, not a lot of them are, and and a lot of them are faithful. um You know, even George Whitfield, you know, like I know him and Wesley had their disagreements, but I do mm-hmm. want to learn more about him because he was a godly man and, yeah. you know, God used him for revival. So it's like, you know, really what we got to do is uh, we got to watch against cage stagers and realize that anybody can be a cage stager because cage stagers are are uh, unbiblical, like the Bible warns about those who would cause you know division and and you know take away you know the unity. So if somebody's out there and and they're so vicious where it's like anybody who disagrees with them on a secondary theology is a heretic, we're gonna put them in this man-centered camp like a lot of Calvinists do, well that's a bad, you know, that's a bad problem. But we also have to recognize, well not every Calvinist is like that. Mm. Because you know, again, we do you have people in the non-Calvinist side who are cage stagers against Calvinism. So it's like anybody can be a cage stager. We yep. just have to make sure who is and who isn't, and just avoid the cage daters and have fellowship with the Calvinists or the you know whatever insert the, theological secondary you know belief, and that's important yep. to to maintain because as we're not Calvinists again, we're not saying the heretics. You know, we love Calvinists, yeah. You know, because they're brothers and sisters in in the faith. So you know, we love Christians because that's what they are. The Christians first, Calvinists, Arminians second. You know, that's mm-hmm. all secondary. Yep. Do you have anything um, you know to add? You know, before we go, um, any any final words of encouragement or anything you want to throw out there? Yeah. Um,
1: well, so one well, so one thing I thought of that I think when you were asking about um, like particular criticisms I get that's always kind of bothered me, kind of drove me nuts that I never quite understood was the uh, idea of you know pray like an Arminian and sleep like a Calvinist. The idea of like yeah. if you're Calvinist, you know you're saved, like you have that assurance of salvation. Um, you know, as I've thought about that, uh, I really actually think that you know, a Calvinist would have a much harder time with assurance of salvation. Um, not, not that we have to get into it, obviously, on this. We're about to wrap up, but just a little eye, food for thought as, as we leave here um, is that if, if those Hebrew warning passages are not of legitimate Christians, just people that were deceived into thinking they were the Christians, that they tasted of the gifts uh, of the church, that they you know, were, were denied the master who bought them. Um, those kinds of things. And I don't know how somebody who held that those were, they were not actually saved Christians that became apostate, but they were never actually saved. They were just deceived. I'm not sure how you could ever have assurance that you're not just deceived at yeah. the current moment, regardless of, uh, of, you know, how much, how, how much of the Bible you're studying and just things that like, I, yeah. I've always heard that criticism and it's always kind of struck me as like, well, I can have full confidence and assurance that, by faith in Christ, that I am one of the elect, that I am I'm chosen in him before the foundation of the world, that his grace is sufficient and covers me in, in all manner, that his blood was poured out for me, um, I can say out to my kids, you know, th- those kind of things. And so i just always find that criticism, it, it kind of dawned on me when you were um, there at the end to just, it's one day maybe food for no, thought as people sure. go from here.
0: Yeah, because even you know, you know, uh, the capitals will say, "Well, you know, how do you have insurance? Why have insurance? Because Christ did what He did for me, mm-hmm. and He t- and He promises me like this is a real promise." Lucas, if if you trust in me, you're saved. Is is Christ lying? No, He's telling me the truth. I'm trusting in Him, so I'm not. And, and you know, Jacob Arminius talked about this too. We're not trusting in a in, in a decree as in this abstract. Dec- you know, there's this decree out there, and that's what God saves you. And Christ is secondary. Christ is how he saves us, right? Like Ephesians one, you're chosen, what? In him. So Paul didn't say you're chosen, period. He said you're chosen in him. So it's in Jesus. So Christ is the first elect. So it's not just, okay, I'm gonna save some people. Secondary, oh, how I do? Oh, I know Christ. No, God says I'm gonna save them through my son, Jesus. So it's in him that we're saved. So I have every assurance because by faith, God promises me that I have salvation in Christ. I don't have to worry, am I one of the elect? Did Christ die for me? I would have more of a hard time accepting uh, salvation or, or assurance yeah. or, or having assurance than I do under the simple thing, you know, he who believes is saved and he who is not is damned. Well, do I have faith in Christ? What does Christ say? Lucas, you're forgiven. Amen. Let me, you know, let me take that. Of course, you know, we're all going to have, a, you know, doubts and seasons, oh, yeah. you know, you know you know that you know to be fair but at the end of the day if, if we're going to play that game logically well it's like okay who has more assurance well it's it's you know the person who who just looks at the scriptures see what christ promises them and takes that by faith how do we know that because god said, said so mm-hmm yeah and everything. Brandon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, thanks for coming on It's a good co- you know conversation. For the audience, if you can please like and share and let us know what you think in the comments, you know, um, any any questions, you know, you have for us, you know, give us give us um, you know, you know, you know your thoughts and please subscribe to Method Ministries and and also Rooted in Reason, right? Am I saying that right? Yeah, your, uh, your podcast yeah, ro-
1: Rooted Reason. Yeah, there's a yeah, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, there's a Facebook page um, and through th- through Substack is the main the main way, but I put everything on the Facebook page at Rooted Reason. So
0: perfect. All right, Brandon. Yeah. And, and guys, you know, thank you again for watching. Until next time, God bless. We're signing out.